Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ruthless Election Spectacular. It's election day. We're here to get you hype. Let's do we, this. We are going to start you with this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. Judge Amy Coney Barrett. If Joe Biden wins, Democrats can sack the courts. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Maybe that's a question you should ask China. Anyway, my time's up. I'm not thinking, Mr. That's President. okay. I know you're not thinking. You never do. It's a whole hoax. And you know who's playing into the hoax? People like you and the fake news media. We are born free and we will stay free. All right, folks, it's election day. We're here to get you hyped. We have very special interviews today. We have the top campaign officials for the House and the Senate. What do we got going on today, Josh? I mean, this is going to be such a big deal. We've got Parker Poling, the National Republican Congressional Committee. She runs the joint. She's with us. Kevin McLaughlin, National Republican Senatorial Committee. He runs the joint. He's with us. Anything and everything you need to know about the elections, these folks are going to tell you in the two interviews we've got booked today. Now, many people are saying that uh, Mr. McLaughlin is the best NRSC executive director we've had in history. Many people are saying so. And he's a whale of a guy, too. I can't wait for the listeners to get a little bit of uh, Kevin McLaughlin because he's, he's hilarious. Parker was awesome, too. And besides, she said, she said uh, multiple times that there's a whole bunch of House members, huge, ruthless fans. I like to hear that. I love that. Um, so let's go in. What, what kind of news we got going on leading into today, leading into Election Day? Well, look, I mean, you've got the one thing that everybody's looking at, honestly, is on their TV right now, the huge contrast between this doddering old man and Donald Trump, who's got five stops a day all over the country for the last week, looking good, feeling good. Yeah, barnstorming. Funny. The dude is everywhere. Like, he's putting up some frequent flyer miles. It's impressive. So so this guy, this guy is just hammering it out of the park. This, the crowds are massive, adoring, fantastic events that just couldn't communicate momentum any more clearly. And on the other hand, you have this mess. Do we have audio of this, Smug? Oh, the, can, you, can you play the Biden, Biden rally clip? All right. We choose unity over division, science over fiction. And yes, we choose truth over lies. So it's time to stand up, take back our democracy. We can do this. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty embarrassing. I mean, are you, I mean, are you kidding me? You got it's an just, old man screaming at parked cars. And honking. They're just honking at him. That's amazing. It's, it, it's like, you know, getting stuck at a Wendy's when everyone is drunk and someone's passed out in the line. It's like, sir, this is a Wendy's. Can you please just order and leave? It's like <laughs> 10 cars honking. <laughs> that's, that's a rally for him. Amazing. I mean, it's like you take a listen to that and you kind of want to call in a silver alert. For Biden, it'd be an Amber Alert, right? No, 
No, it is not. A, it's not. It is a silver. That's for old people. We're going to leave that gotcha. there and just keep on keep on moving. Let me just say, I want to make a, an observation about the the horns. Yes. Mm, kind of weak horns, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it's it's you know those aren't a bunch of F150s or Silverados out there. There's no trucks. Those are those are like your your electric cars, your Kias. Just a lot full of Subarus, if you ask me. <laughs> totally. totally. <laughs> So who we got who we got first on deck today? We got a super huge interview with Kevin McLaughlin. I've known this guy for a really long time. He is, for my money, about as good a political operative as you're ever gonna find, but he's also a whale of a guy. I can't wait to get to it. I hope everybody enjoys. We are very excited here today on Ruthless because we have a very powerful, very esteemed executive director of the NRSC. That is the campaign arm for Senate Republicans. Kevin McLaughlin, welcome to Ruthless, my friend. Thank you for having me. You forgot handsome, but I'm not going to hold it against you. Well, you certainly are handsome, no question. But this is an audio medium, so we'd like to just make sure that we don't get our, our listeners too fired up right here at the beginning. I will send them pictures if they electronically mail me. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to leave that there. <laughs> Why don't we start with this? I want to, you, you probably don't want to start with this, but I'm going to start with this because this is what I care about. Um, sure. Your show. Yeah, it's my show, right. Um, you were the victim of a fake news media over the weekend. I feel like I am all the time, but uh, there have been uh, some, the, the, the attacks seem to have been stepped up recently. This is, well, there's an election around the corner. That's true. Um, and let me just read what I thought was incredibly uh, disingenuous. The, the playbook, political playbook, which is the kind of a newsletter that goes around Washington, D.C. Uh, anybody can subscribe, but they fancy themselves for insiders and that kind of thing. And it does drive a fair amount of conversation. It led Saturday's playbook saying, Siren, NRSC's Kevin McLaughlin on Trump, colon. And then it says, quote, Trump drags down GOP senators, comma, giving Democrats more paths to the majority, unquote. And I was like, holy shit, this is, that doesn't sound like Kevin to me. So I, I clicked on the link and lo and behold, Kevin never said Trump tracks down GOP senators. That's true. The, uh, the quote uh, seems like it would lead, lead you to believe that in fact you did say something like that, but in the piece itself, nope, didn't say it. That is correct, Josh. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm a big boy. I can take it. Uh, I can tell you that uh, some people weren't thrilled with me. Uh, <laughs> rightfully so. If I would have said that, I would have been mad at myself. I can imagine. I can imagine <laughs> you complicated your weekend a little bit. <laughs> it was fun. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. Well, I'm just going to leave it there just because I, but I do think it was worth cleaning up because I couldn't believe it when I actually looked into it. And so you actually never said it. But. Well, yeah, and I listen. I think that like the the thing that's amazing here is is the fact that um, you know uh, there's no recourse, right? I mean, this is the problem. Like you can you can make a call and you can say, hey, that's wrong, but like at the same time, like what am I going to do? You pointed out that this goes out to, I mean, it's probably millions of people who get that, <laughs> <laughs> who literally just got a siren saying I said something that I literally never said. The quote was the Washington Post headline. Oh. Washington Post said it, not me. Yeah, the, a couple of editors at the Washington Post clearly had that takeaway, but it wasn't Kevin McLaughlin. Democracy indeed dies in darkness. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. 
Well, you look good, pal. I'm, I'm just telling our listeners, this is a guy who's uh, got himself put together for somebody who's got the weight of his wor- weight of the world on his shoulders. Well, it's through, it's only through good genes. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not through any of my behaviors or anything like that. It's, uh, it's been a long two years. It's been a great two years. We have a wonderful team at the NRIC. We have wonderful candidates and campaigns, but boy, it's been tough out there. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Well, let's get into that yeah. because I know you guys have been in trench warfare here for basically two years with every pundit in the English speaking world predicting your demise on an almost hourly basis. But uh, bottom line, this thing for me, are we going to hold the majority or what? I think we're right in it. I mean, there's absolutely, I mean, there's no question. It's, it's crazy for me to think about uh, one of the things I was getting at when I talked to the, the, uh, the fake news media is that like, you know, if you think about everything that's gone on out there over the last two years, in totality, um, you know, if you would have told any of us that that was going to be happening when we started this cycle and said, these things are going to happen, Kevin, and you will still be in the fight for the Senate majority, I would have had someone committed. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. And so, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, like, like in Iowa, there's been $230 million all in spent in Iowa. 140, 150 million of that is Democrats attacking Joni Ernst. And what did they get for it? They're down four in the DMR poll. So what do they do, Josh? They attack the pollster. They say that can't be right. It can't be right. There was a fake poll up in, in Wisconsin, they say. I mean, they're just shameless. Anytime there's something out that they don't like, they just attack. Now, my, my favorite, uh, that's such a good point. My favorite uh, part was last week, early in the week, there was a poll that was released in Wisconsin that had Biden beating Trump by 17 points. I mean, if anybody's ever paid attention to an election, even for a day, you know that that's like the most ridiculous possible outcome imaginable. Right. And at that point, people were like, well, I don't know, you know, it, it shows a, a decent lead. It shows a decent lead, Pro- probably analytically correct. And it makes it, sense. It, makes sense. Good <laughs> poll. Good pollster. And A-plus these, rating on now 538. A-plus <laughs> rating. <laughs> these same clowns look at a DMR poll, which has predicted the outcome for the last, like, 100 years. Right. They show Joni Ernst with a lead, and they're like, oh, that can't be right. Can't even, be. Even, even so-and-so pollster gets it wrong from time to time, they said. Just from time to time. Just <laughs> this one time. It's ridiculous. Just from time to time. Just but time. listen, here's the thing. It was like there were dark days, you know, around around RBG's death and around uh, the president getting COVID um, and all like th- that kind of stretch right there. I mean, our, our data wasn't good. I mean, it was, you know, that was a month or so ago and, and things looked pretty bleak. And uh, you, that's when you started to see red states kind of dip. And you, you talk about like, you know, everyone's always like, how could how could Lindsey Graham be in trouble? Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to I'm going to I got a secret. Shh. I'm going to tell your listeners, the ruthless listeners, a secret. Jamie Harrison spent $60 million in (laughs) South Carolina in three months. (laughs) That's going to take a toll on someone, no matter how popular they are or how the partisan lean of the state is. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, you know, all those states where, like, you know, where the red states, when people started to kind of have a panic a month ago in South Carolina – in Alaska and Kansas, and they were talking about Montana and Iowa, even I'd throw in there, you know, those states have, have really, they look like they're spo- more like they're supposed to look. Not like they, they, they're supposed to look, but more like they're supposed to. So I feel good in those states. And then you look at like what we have to do. After, we're going to win Alabama, as you all know. I mean, I, I love Democrats because they sit there and they act like they won that special election in 2017. This is my favorite thing about operatives. Did you see how we beat that? How we won in a deep red state. Oh, did you? 
we nominated an accused pedophile and you outspent him six to one and barely won by one and, one and a half points. I wouldn't <laughs> bat myself in the back over that one. But so we're going to win Alabama, like done. So we had 54. As Smug says about Alabama, we had a minor issue. In <laughs> I just, you know, I only wish I was as eloquent as Smug. Uh, but I, I, yeah, he's right. But then you look at those swing states of, of Arizona, Colorado, North Carolina, Maine, and yes, Michigan. Yes, Michigan is a is in this ball game. We technically really only had to go one for five in those states. Yeah, and and they're in varying degrees of like probability right now. I mean, you know, so I um, you know, that's a pretty good path. Uh, those are pretty good paths. I mean, there's multiple paths there. So. We got to close strong. And I got to tell you what, the other thing that aren't pe- people aren't really like dialed into to me, the data I'm looking at on early vote and absentee ballots, Democrats didn't do what they needed to do. So let's, uh, talk, let's talk about that a little bit because I, all of September, all we heard about as Republicans is how we were getting absolutely dominated in mail-in and early vote. But you're right. You look at some of the numbers as of today, the day before election day, and all of a sudden we're like, hmm. Yeah, maybe I don't not. No, man, I don't know. Like North Carolina, give me your thought. So I, I'll tell you that in uh, North Carolina, so first of all, there's been a, a bunch of ballots cast there, right? There's been four million, four and a half million ballots cast there. But where we sit right now is D plus five. And in 2016, that is, we're better. It was D plus six in 2016. So, so in other words, just, just for like the layman yep. that doesn't follow the ins and outs, that means that there are 5% lead amongst registered Democrats who have cast ballots in this election. Correct. And Democrats saying, are leading. If this election stopped right now, they'd win by five points. And, and what you're saying is that in 2016, when we got out early vote, they were six. So they were even higher six. than they are this time. Correct. Around. And here's the other thing too. We have a low prop, low propensity advantage, meaning people who don't vote or vote very little, like they haven't, like we have an advantage with those voters. Um, the cities are coming in hot, Raleigh and Charlotte. And some people might say, oh, geez, you know, that's a problem, eh? As we're up in Minnesota. <laughs> and like, and so, um, you know, some people might see that as a problem. What we see it as is our votes still out there. Yeah. We got more votes to go, go chase. And so um, in North Carolina specifically, I mean, I'm telling you, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't look, it doesn't, they, here's what Democrats have been cha- telling us for, you know, our entire careers they're going to go change the electorate. They're going to create a new electorate to win in these states. And by any measure, if you look at any state that we are playing in right now, they did not do that with the returns that we're looking at. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And like, listen, we have our work cut out for us. Like we got like our folks turn out on election day. I'm sure you guys have talked about this before, but like even during the Rona, the height of the Rona here, our polling Republican voters, 60% of them in any state were saying we're voting on election day and we're voting in person. Yeah. yeah. So we got to turn those people out. We got a lot of work to do in Iowa, in North Carolina, in all these places, but boy, I mean, we know the path, you know, we just got to close it. Yeah. Yeah. We like to say it's a little like Justin Turner's girlfriend after the world series. You just got to embrace it. Uh, I got to tell you, though, I, I feel good. I feel like those numbers you just went through have old Kiss and Cal on the run, which is really important to this program. I think, I think you know, listen, Kiss and Cal, um, I, uh, I, I'm, I've got a lot to say about Kiss and Cal, but as you know, I probably should keep my mouth shut. Um, 
It turns out it's a litigious society. It is a litigious society. I don't want to get into it right now, the advice of counsel, but you know, it is. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's Uh, hop around a little bit. I want to know, so so Maine is a state that Democrats basically said they were going to win a year ago, and they haven't ever been able to put Susan Collins away. And I think there's been some polling here in the last month or so that seems to reflect Susan Collins is not only not going away, but she's got a good shot at winning this thing. The, The one thing that concerns me most is this absolute, I'll say it so you don't have to, completely democratically corrupt system up there of ranked choice voting. What are your thoughts on that? So um, we always said at the beginning of this cycle, when we were talking to people, guys like you and me were saying, if Democrats are going to come after Susan Collins, they better pack a lunch. Uh, Little did I know how tough she actually really was. I, if you would have, we would have had this conversation once again, a month ago around RBG's passing, I would have told you, you know what? I think the dream is over. Great race. Um, but there's no path here. I could not have been more wrong. Um, she's in, she is, um, by many, many is a stretch by a, a handful of very smart data and research people in our party. They think she's got a distinct chance not only to win with a plurality, but then win, win with ranked choice voting, even though it is a corrupt system. Um, you know, just so everyone knows, if no one gets to 50 plus one on election day, let me, let me pull it back. When you go in a voting booth in Maine, you don't vote once. You don't vote twice. You don't <laughs> vote three times. You vote like four or five times. You fill out your first and second and third choice. That's and then so on, it's insane. And then so on election day, when they count the ballots, if no one's at 50, they drop the bottom one and go to their second choice. If no one's at 50 again, drop the second one, blah, 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 so on and so forth. I mean, Until- so, so it, just the backdrop of the, they literally invented this, put it into place. Democrats have done it in California too, but they, they did this because Governor LePage was right. reelected, a Republican. Right. And they were like, yeah. we can't have this. We just right. can't have and it. I We've think, got listen, to the system. I think Susan was their big target. Yeah. I think they were like, we're never going to beat Susan one-on-one. There's no way. We got we to change the rules. Does it sound familiar? Does mm-hmm. that sound familiar? Yeah. The states are the laboratories, right, of democracy? Here That's we right. are. They apparently are here of stealing elections, too. So I feel uh, positive. Here's some other hot, hot goss for the, the uh, listeners. I love hot goss. Yeah. XOXO. So um, apparently, um, Democrats are in a full-fledged panic about Gideon. Um, and there was a meeting in the second congressional district. She's shedding women voters. Apparently she is just not doing well in the second congressional district. And there was a bit of a, um, over the weekend, there was a intervention, if you will. And they're trying to right the ship. A little late for that. <laughs> I mean, isn't the cow out of the barn at this? We're like, what? It's election day. I don't know what, I don't know what their game plan was. And so, um, but they're really, um, and it would match with like, you know, the DSCC went into Maine with 4 million bucks last week. They hadn't spent a nickel the entire election cycle, not yeah. one penny, nothing. And all of a sudden they're dropping 4 million. Hey, by the way, they've already spent $85 million there. What's four mill bones going to do in the last week? Yeah. I don't know. So, um, I feel, uh, I feel like, you know, we're in the game in Maine, which I would not have said, a month ago and um and it's all because of susan collins i love it i love it i feel good about it your time is limited so i got to get to a couple more things here i'd love to go through every state but we can't just tell me michigan john james he's one of our favorites any chance he gets through let's fly uh yeah absolutely there's a chance i mean every single poll we've had for the last seven or eight polls 
is a margin pull. I've had him up one. I've had him down three. Absolutely. Jerry Peters is a total load. I agree. Uh, yeah. Great state of Texas. We're safe there, right? We're fine there. Yep. All right. That's good. I've got, yeah. I've got, it was a little scary a little bit ago. You know, I pumped a little dough in there. You did. I, yeah, you I did. And actually that's the last thing I want to hit before I get to our three questions. What you guys have been unbelievably, both you and SLF, the two sort of outside groups responsible for spending our, our candidates have gotten swamped this right. election cycle. And, but, but you've really stood in the breach what, what, was the, what are the totals at the NRSC? So we're at about $275 million raised for the cycle. Uh, to put that in context for all the minions out there, the most we've ever raised is $155 million in an election wow. cycle. Um, but, you know, and, and to, your, to the point about small dollars and, you know, um, someone, uh, you know, I know you're a, a firm believer in it as well as I am. Uh, we increased our digital fundraising, our online fundraising, 340% cycle over cycle. We just finished out um, uh, uh, October, uh, raising uh, just under $30 million online. Uh, we raised $30 million in all of the calendar year 2018. So Incredible. if you invest, if you, like, if you stick to it, if you do it, if you're a candidate, a campaign committee, or whoever, uh, it works. And I'm a big believer, and I'm, I'm an evangelist, and I will preach the gospel uh, for the rest of my life. Well, regardless of what happens in this election, we want you to come back and talk more about that because I've got, as you know, some some pretty significant thoughts on how we have to continue to compete yep. as a party. But uh, but I want to get to these three questions. I love it. Uh, Kevin, your last meal, what would it be? Well, listen, does this have to be a real meal or can it be like fictitious on some level? And I'll, I'll tell you why. It can be whatever you'd like. Okay, well, there's actually two I'm going to tell you. Number one is I would give anything anything right now to sit bellied up at Al's Superbar in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, which is no longer with us, God rest uh, its soul, and have a Heggie's frozen pizza made in the old-fashioned pizza maker and drink about 38 McGolden Mites. That's one. That's one I'd like to do. The second one is, is a Juicy Lucy at Matt's Bar. I'm not one of these 5'8 club guys in Minneapolis. I'm a Matt's Bar. I'm a traditionalist. I'm not a Casper and Runyon's nook. God bless them. I do Matt's Bar in Minneapolis. One of those two, I might do both if it's my last meal. Who's going to I mean, tell I don't, me? I don't recall asking you for two, but I appreciate it. And I also <laughs> I like appreciate the commitment to your hometown there. Good Lord. I really like it. Can't find a steak in D.C. or what? <laughs> Just, I mean, listen, no, I get paint thrown on me and people yell at me on the street <laughs> in D.C. <laughs> Very fair. Very fair. Uh, Kevin, if you were not involved in politics, what in the world would you do with yourself? We just might find out tomorrow. <laughs> is my first answer. Truck <laughs> driving school, I think it was. Amazon's hiring in Northern Virginia. They got a big campus they're building. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> um, we'd we'd think, be happy to put a recommendation in for your uh, resume. Thank you. I think, I think that would be helpful. Um, uh, listen, you know, uh, as well as I do, uh, before coming out to DC, I was a radio, a, a Z-list uh, celebrity in Minneapolis. I was a talk show uh, co-host and news guy on a radio show. My favorite job I've ever done. I did a morning show uh, for five years. Let's get, let's get a little of that. Let's, I would like a call sign. Can you give us our sign uh, off or something you work with? Um, that was, uh, let me see. I'd come out of the news and I'd say, uh, you know, uh, it's 7.54, six minutes until eight o'clock. I'm Kevin McLaughlin. And those are your headlines on the new sound of 1041. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think you might have it. That, that's, uh, you've been my, my program director uh, did not think I did. 
They actually forgot <laughs> to fire me. That's for the next, that's the next one. I was kind of like, I was like the guy with the stapler. They just kept kind of kept me around for like years. They didn't know I was there. <laughs> so I love it. All right. All right. Yep. Your final question is what made it motivates you more. And there's a right answer to this. I'm never going to reveal what it is yeah. because I need all of our guests. People are saying like, why do you ask that? Mm-hmm. There's a right answer. At some point I'll, I'll explain what it is, but what motivates you more? The thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Well, as you know, I am Irish. And so the agony of defeat is, um, is always uh, prevalent. And as you also know, Yates said that uh, being Irish, I have an abiding sense of tragedy that sustains me through temporary periods of joy. So <laughs> the agony of defeat, I cannot stand losing. I hate losing more than I love winning. Losing sucks. So is that clear? I won't give you two answers there. You have made yourself abundantly (laughs) clear on this particular issue. I appreciate your time. You are a good friend of the program. I love the program. Uh, I can't wait to the next time you get ruthless. Good luck in this election, pal. You've done everything you can possibly do. And all of our listeners, thank you for your help. Thank you for your support, your friendship. You and Smug have a good thing going here. You deserve all your success. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Kevin. All right, let's go. Let's yeah. go. We got to hold the Senate, folks. Every, I mean, I you know, you. That guy's we've gotten, good. We've gotten our justices confirmed because of the Senate. We got to hold the line on that one. No um, kidding. Okay. Well, it's in good hands, and you can tell this is a guy who's, who's not only really good at his job in politics, but he, I mean, he, can, he can sell ice to Eskimos. Let's go. Um, something else I would like to bring up. Uh, so two days before the election, what do we have? We had... Kamala Harris post essentially like a, a how to communism cartoon on Twitter, uh, advocating <laughs> for equal outcomes, folks, not equal opportunities. And wow, that's, that's is it all right there. You knew two days she, before the election that she's coming at us with this. You knew Biden was the Trojan horse candidate. You knew this was, you know, the plan all along is he's going to get bullied by the left, but it's going to be Kamala taking the reins here. And she's, she's letting her folks know, hey, listen, everybody knows I'm the senator from California. I have the most liberal voting record to the left of Bernie, you know, <laughs> and, and she wanted to let the folks know what they're voting for. And they're voting for <laughs> straight up communism. And That's the best what- part is nobody, nobody's listening. Right. I mean, she this is a, she comes out and she's like, hey, by the way, I'm totally for communism. Yeah. Right. I'm a Marxist. Check out this bar graph. Look at this. This look at this stuff that I support. And everybody's like, yeah, cool. Whatever. Well, that's the thing is when you know the media isn't going to ask you about it, you can do whatever you want, whatever you want. Like, uh, the, you know, there was a good there was a good tweet uh, yesterday from Noah Rothman where he said, meanwhile, as I'm just remembering, Kamala Harris managed to get through the entire campaign as VP nominee without submitting to a press conference. That is that is, right? That's, can you believe that? Every single time she's answered a question, it's been like a planned, canned event. She has not wow. taken actual, she's not had a, she's not taken an actual question. She's not had a press conference. It's just been, oh, you know, you, you have journalists going out and helping Kamala pick out like a jacket. Like that's the hardest treatment she's gotten from the press is they're like, let's go on a shopping spree, queen. I mean, come to think of it, the only thing I've really seen, she did that 60 Minutes interview where they asked basically yeah. <laughs> about her being the furthest <laughs> left senator in the Senate, and she just did the, the, full, the full, like she had a stroke Let's on just camera. La- just laugh through it. Let's just laugh through it. That, that's the Kamala approach. And the thing is, she's laughing at voters because she knows that the biased media is covering for them. 
and and she she's laughing at at, at Biden. She she knows she's going to be pulling the strings. It's it's going to be the Kamala presidency. Uh, you know, you're very convinced of this. You're very convinced of this. I'm, you know, I'm very convinced of it. No one is is watching Joe Biden's vitals closer than Kamala <laughs> Harris. Let me tell you, she probably she has notifications on her iPhone of what his current heart rate is. You know. She's got her fingers crossed. She wants to be president. Let's be serious. Do you folks. think? Do you think maybe she got like an Apple Watch or something for him? Where yeah, she, you know, strapped it on him. She knows what his blood pressure is. She knows what his heart rate is at all times. You know, Kamala Harris knows what she got from this deal. It, it, Joe is a complete Trojan horse candidate. It's. I mean, it's hundred percent true. And and for anybody who actually doesn't believe that, look at what the left thinks. Look at look at what all of the people who are actually voting in this election. Think. I mean, when they get the question, even some of these progressive lawmakers, when they get the question about, you know, how do you square Joe's sort of centrist message to, you know, with your sort of core beliefs, they all are just totally confident, right? Yeah. None of them even blink an eye. They're not like, yeah. oh, you know, I can figure, we'll figure out how to make it work. Hopefully I can, you know, convince them of something. They're all like big smiles, confident grins they all kind of give you the thumbs up and they're like yeah don't worry about it folks yeah they know what they know they know they're going to get exactly what they've wanted when they have president kamala it's going to be just open socialism that's what they've been waiting for and that's what they're going to get Mm, you're only going to hear it here on ruthless that's for sure which by the way i'm going to add right the middle of the episode just to break this thing up and make everybody do it comment you got to leave a comment you got to leave five stars you got to get us up the rankings folks it's very important if you want this thing on the air keep pumping it we are competing with the pod bros for the top spot we need as many tell all your friends hit get on apple Podcasts. hit that five-star review leave the reply that you're here to hold the line keep the faith um let's go let's keep this let's keep this train rolling let's Uh go so so we got another interview Mm -hmm. this one is with parker polling who you will absolutely fall in love with. This is the kind of person that you want running big campaigns and big campaign committees in big years. She had a very, very tough task in 2020 to try to uh, retake a majority where she's got a, you know, a big deficit to try to overcome, but she's doing a whale of a job. Have a listen. Let's go. Welcome back to Ruthless. We are so excited. We've got Parker Poling, the very fabulous, wonderful, smart, incredible executive director of the NRCC in charge of electing and re-electing all of the House Republicans, which, as we know, first of all, Nancy Pelosi is the worst. And second of all, we pray for your success every day. Parker, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It is an honor and a privilege to be on Ruthless. Oh, man. Well, so we're just getting kind of spreading our wings here and happens to be on a very pivotal time here for a country. And You've been working for two years on this project to try to regain the House majority for House Republicans. I got to say at the outset, I'm really, really impressed at the quality of candidates that you all have been able to, to put on the field this time. A lot of great diversity, a lot of really important voices from around the country. I'm wondering if you can just talk about that. Yeah, that's something you know we've been really, really proud of. Um, when Chairman Emmer and Leader McCarthy uh, kicked off this cycle. That was a priority for them. Um, and they, they passed that mandate on to us. Um, we have um, 94 women, 75 minorities, and 107 veterans who are on the ballot this November. Um, those are all records. And just for comparison's sake, the previous record for women running as Republican was 53. 
Wow. And we're at 94. So we almost doubled um, the number of Republican women and we're, we're poised to make real gains um, towards improving our numbers in the, in the Republican conference. That's just so great. You know, one of the things that, well, one of the reasons why we came up with Ruthless in the first place is just we're so inundated with the fake news and the armchair punditry and the groupthink. And you get an awful lot of that right now, particularly with the House. It's basically... They do the, yeah, the president could win the Electoral College if these miracles happen. Senate Republicans almost certainly are gone. And then, oh, yeah, the House, that's going to be gone by a long shot. And none of it, all of us know that none of that is, is totally true. But I, I'd be interested in get, to get your take on what are these guys missing? Why, why, are, why are they just totally missing the boat here? Yeah, and, and, and we think they are. I mean, at the end of the day, we have a very narrowly divided electorate, right? I mean, there are enormous number of races that are toss-ups. I would venture to say um, that most of the races that anybody's talking about right now, we have essentially within the margin of error one way or the other. And the prognosticators and the fake news media are all just sort of assuming that they will fall to the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, sure, if, they, if every single toss-up goes their way, it's not going to, it's not going to be a great night for, for the Republican party or for America, frankly. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we feel good that a lot of these are coming our way too. And that um, given the trends, given where the president is performing. So I think the, um, you know, I think we are well positioned to shock the hell out of some people. That's awesome. So what what districts, are there any early indicators, uh, districts that you're watching the closest, maybe in the Eastern time zone on election day that are, listeners can get a, a clue as to which way this thing is headed? Yeah, my first, um, my early bellwether is Kentucky 6, um, you Andy know, Bar. Andy Barr. Um, you know it well um, from, your, from your time with McConnell. But given how strong Cocaine Mitch is running, um, Andy has just been a, a rock star this cycle. You know, your listeners may or may not know that he suffered a tremendous personal tragedy this cycle. Um, but he has you know, just soldiered through that and is really well positioned to win another term, I think, in a more comfortable way than he did last cycle. He's in really great shape. The other early one is Indiana 5. This is Susan Brooks's open seat. Um, Our candidate is a Ukrainian immigrant named Victoria Sparts. The Democrats are running an anti-immigrant campaign against her, (laughs) sort of making fun of her accent. And I mean, it's just the stuff they get away with that we can never get away with. It's it's incredible. I mean, you just want, there was something the other day that came up. I saw that they they were running an ad in Michigan that was sort of darkening the skin of John James, just disgusting stuff. And this is exactly the same, along those same lines, just disgusting. They're doing the same thing against Burgess Owens in Utah 4. You know, he's not from Utah. Um, They're really just doing what they accuse us of doing all the time. But yeah, Indiana and Kentucky are kind of those two early, um, early states to close and then I think North Carolina is probably the next place to look. Um, they 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 count pretty quick in North Carolina, so we'll be we'll be watching um, North Carolina eight and eleven there pretty closely. You know, and I saw I saw a tweet by Bill Stepien, the president's campaign manager. He went through a bunch of different states and sort of what they're seeing in early voting and absentees. And North Carolina, I talked uh, about this with uh, NRSC's executive director uh, Kevin McLaughlin as well. But North Carolina. If that's one you're watching, very interesting that despite all of the emphasis Democrats have had on early voting and absentee, Republicans are actually better positioned now than they were in 2016. 
it's crazy. And it's one of those things no one is talking about. Um, you know, I worked most of my career for Patrick McHenry, um, who's a member from North Carolina and um, a big, big fan of, of the podcast too, by nice. the way. Um, and uh, yeah, he would love it. Um, and, uh, you know, we have never led in early voting in North Carolina. Um, we always get blown out. And the, the way these numbers are coming in, I just, you know, continue to think that, you know, the fake news, are um, they're missing something here. It just sure seems like it to me. And it's, it's relentless. You know, the, the thing that I've admired about the way you've handled this job, and I'm not saying your predecessors haven't exactly done this or not, but I am saying that you've never been caught up in the drama of it. You, you seem to be able to navigate an incredibly diverse House Republican conference in terms of their opinions, in terms of the stress of this election cycle, impeachment, pandemics, you know, the economy, all of this. And you've been able to maintain a really even keel and just sort of execute these campaigns. I mean, how tough is that? That's really nice of you. Um, you know, I think we've had a, a more unified ecosystem this cycle than anyone has ever seen. Um, you know, the RNC are incredible partners. Um, Kevin McLaughlin and I get along fantastic. We share whatever information we can. You know, our super PAC partner, CLF, is Dan Constant is the consummate professional. He's the best. And so I think as an overall, you know, we started out the cycle with getting on board with Win Red. And we all had to work together on that. Right. And um, it, it, it wasn't um, as simple as we made it all as it looked, I don't think. But, you know, I do think that sort of all of us working together on that project really made, um, just built a relationship that has been stronger than I think we've all seen in previous cycles. There's no question. I mean, I've been doing this close to two decades now, and there's always moments in a cycle where it feels like one of the committees is trying to kill the other committee. And we just <laughs> haven't had that this cycle. So, I mean, I really applaud your leadership and, and, and the White House. They've been very helpful partners. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got, you know, we've all had the, the fun meetings with the president, but he's sure been, been evangelist for picking up the house. We were just talking about it again last week. I know. I keep trying to say we need him to lower expectations. I mean, there, he's, he's doing, he's doing these tele rallies and tele town halls for us in districts in California and New York and New Jersey, places where the presidential race is not competitive, but he knows that he can help us turn out Republicans and, and, and win back seats. I mean, we couldn't ask for more help from, from the white house, from, you know, Brian Jack, the White House political director, has just been fantastic. I, I mean, they've, they've all been great. Yeah, that's really excellent to hear. And, and, you know, internally, it feels like you guys have managed to put this in a, a real open question about whether Republicans can, in fact, pick up the House. And, and I, I think in and of itself, that seems like a huge accomplishment given this sort of tidal wave of cash, Democratic cash flowing into all of these districts. We see it in the Senate. We see it in the House. And it's probably one of the things that folks like you, smart, smart people in the party, are going to have to address regardless of the outcome of this election. How ultimately do Republicans compete with Democrats and small dollar giving? Yeah, I think, you know, the House, we, we, I, I think we caught the tsunami a little earlier than the Senate side because we saw this exact thing. In, in the 16 and 18 cycles, 18 especially. We just, you know, where was this money coming from? And I think our candidates just in the last like two quarters really started to turn it on. We had 16 
Republican challengers outraise Democrat incumbents this quarter. Um, we had, you know, half a dozen Republican challengers raising over $2 million this quarter. Mm. Those are numbers that we had never seen prior to um, win red. And I, I, I feel like we've just, we've started to turn the corner on this small dollar um, fundraising puzzle. And, you know, I, frankly, I think the house is the house candidates, house members are a little bit ahead of their Senate counterparts on that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a house girl forever. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I do think this one is fair. Um, you know, when we had Nancy Mace raise, you know, $2.7 million and outraised Joe Cunningham, who used to be one of these fundraising superstars, um, Burgess Owens did 2.5 million. You know, we have some really, really impressive numbers out there. Right. Well, and I know both McCarthy and Emmer have been terrific at trying to get early adoption of Win Red and get everybody into the mode where, you know, you got to do this in modern day campaigns, investing in infrastructure to try to get as many donors in as you possibly can. That's got to be helpful. Yep. Yep. They're, they've been great. And then some of our incumbents, Lee Stefanik and Dan Crenshaw, I right. feel like are two incumbents that need to give a shout out to um, really have figured out how to be innovative. And you know this, you've got to be creative and, and, and catch people's eyes on, on some of this stuff. No kidding. No kidding. Well, look, you've done a whale of a job. And we really appreciate you sharing your thoughts here. I got three questions for you. They're hard. And All right. there are right answers and there are wrong answers. We'll judge you accordingly. Um, your last meal, Parker, you get one shot. Last meal, you're on death row. What are you, what are you choosing? Um, you know, I'm a Republican. So like probably everyone answers here, it's going to be a steak. <laughs> um, and right now it might be, St. Anselm steak. And I got to have those biscuits with the pimento cheese. Um, oh, that's, that, is, that might be it. That is a good answer. That's, that's specificity too, which <laughs> I like. Tom Cotton gave us a very meat and potatoes answer. And I didn't feel like that was as sufficient as what you've just given us with the location. So we can check it out ourselves. <laughs> uh, all right. So if you weren't involved in politics at all, what would you be doing? Um, it's, it's almost hard to imagine because I, 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 I can't imagine another life, but I think, um, I think I'd be a Disney trip planner. <laughs> I'm really good at that. So, you know, if you want to know how to use your fast passes, um, what your best dining options are, um, where the character meals are the best, I'm your girl. Are you serious? So you've got, you actually have this all bird dog? I suppose you've done it a few times or what? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, um, you know, there's nothing like a post-election trip to Disney world. So, um, <laughs> I, if anybody, I'll offer my services for free to listeners of Ruthless. Uh, I, that is amazing. We are going to take you up on that. And as a, a father of two little ones, I'm definitely going to get under the hood on that deal. I, there are ways to do that wrong. Absolutely. There, there are, it's easier to do it wrong than right, I think. <laughs> did, now, did you do it wrong? Is that why you're so good at it? Or did you just get it, get it right, off, right off the bat? No, I think I was just born with the, you know, the right gene for this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so good. I love it. All right. So finally, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? I think it's got to be the thrill of victory. You know, I, I, I thought about this and I thought about when we passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act on the House floor or when we passed, you know, Trade Promotion Authority, um, you know, I think 
winning those in, and, and, and watching the agony of defeat on the faces <laughs> of the Democrats, um, I, I think it's for me, it's, it's the thrill of victory. I love it. So it, it's the thrill of victory, but it's because of their agony. That's a fair <laughs> point. Yes. Yes. Speaking, <laughs> speaking like a true political pro of uh, Parker polling, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us on Ruthless today. Thanks so much for having me. See you later. Take care. Bye. All right. That's good. Two, so she's two banging episodes. Let's go. Yeah. She's as smart as a whip. And, and I think what we'll find is that these two people, McLaughlin and Parker, have put our party in a place where we have the opportunity to win. Like the backdrop of all of this is we've had a pandemic. We've had an economic recession. We've had impeachment. We've had all of these huge existential crises where a whole lot of incumbents are in the room having to try to make the case in impossible situations. And I think these folks have done an incredible job at giving all of us a really good chance to win. Yeah. I mean, that, that great interview, great interview on that one. Um, so I think the, the, the best thing that we can do right now, hype time, in, hype time, in, hype time in the, in the ruthless election spectacular is to let the folks know why they need to go vote today, why they need to get their friends, their family members, why they, and, and, and let, me, let me clarify that. This, this show is not going to be a go vote, do your civic duty. This is going to be a go vote straight ticket Republicans. If you, know, you want to go vote for a Democrat, listen, just stay home. Honestly, don't bother. If but you're going to vote, if you're going to vote for a Democrat, I've been reliably told the election is on Wednesday. <laughs> Well, there we go. Now we're totally going to get banned by the tech overlords for that one. Um, vote red, no matter who. Straight ticket Republican folks, and we're going to tell you. We're going to tell you why. We're going to get you hyped up, and we're going to give you the reasons. And I mean, I touched upon this earlier, but one of the first things you need to know is that Biden is a Trojan horse. Kamala and the far left will take over. It's clear as day. Um, you know, just just yesterday. You know, the, the people for Bernie Twitter account replied to one of Trump's campaign accounts saying, actually, we're going to ban fracking in Pennsylvania. Like, oh. they're not, they don't need to hide it. They know this is their agenda. They're going to stop fossil fuels. They're going to pass the Green New Deal. They're going to come for your guns. They're going to come for everything that they've always wanted. That's what the Biden presidency means for them. And, you, and they're totally confident. As we said, we, they're totally confident. There isn't a moment of remorse. You remember during the 2016 election when basically all of the Bernie Sanders crew was just fundamentally disappointed with the choice of Hillary Clinton. Many of them sat out. These folks don't have that this time around. Yep. And the reason they don't have that is because they have the wink and the nod mm -hmm. from the powers that be mm -hmm. that the progressive agenda and Kamala Harris are going to be what rules the day? I mean, Senator from California votes to the left of Bernie. Need I say more? Get in the car, go vote today. You got to put an end to this. Got to um, put an end to it. And we're going to get to number two. With well, a second reason, folks, I can't emphasize this enough. It is not a talking point. It is not anything other than rock solid fact. When Democrats tell you that they are going to pack the court, folks, they're going to pack the court. They mean and what, it. And they mean it. And what, is that, what does that mean? It's not like just simply putting a couple more people with robes 
on the, on the court and people you disagree with and, you know, bad ruling. Ultimately what it means is if you're into the second amendment at all, if you actually believe that possessing a firearm of any kind is a, is a right inalienable, inalienable to Americans, well then you better be really upset that the fact that they're going to pack this court and that's going away. Gone. That's going away. Gone. Yeah. Hell right? it was a five, four decision. Uh, when they add their justice, they're going to get your guns. They're, they're going to take any, anything they've ever wanted they can accomplish because all they've ever wanted is these activist judges and they're going to have the white house and he's going to, he, there's a reason Biden hasn't released, you know, the list of justices because it'd be like a hundred people since they're going to add dozens and dozens, who, who knows how many justices they're going to add to pack these courts. And you've got, you know, running the Senate, you've got, you've got Steve Bullock, you got Hickenlooper, you have all these Dems who are committed to packing the courts, you know, Biden, there's a reason why he won't say no is because he knows he needs the far left to win. The far left is calling the shots and they're going to pack the courts. Previously unthinkable things, right? Previously, it, it is an unimaginable fact in this country that your First Amendment rights, your, your ability to speak your mind could be threatened. But if you have any question about where a liberal court would lead you, look no further than Silicon Valley. Yep. Look what liberals do when they're given the power to control and regulate your political speech. They turn it off. Yes. They turn it off. And it's going to be, you know, right now we see the tech overlords doing their work online, but this is going to be the rest of your life. This isn't going to be, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting silenced on Twitter. No, this is going to be, I'm silenced every day. Registering Republican is a hate crime. I'm not allowed to own a gun. The Green New Deal legalizes it. So, you know, hey, if, if you have a job in, in fossil fuels or, or you have a farm that has cattle, hey, guess what? Green New Deal says goodbye to your life. Ugh. What do we got for third? This is a big one. Yeah, this is a, you know what? This is kind of like, this is going to be the battle cry. This is the whole reason for the episode, folks. Um, and I don't want to just dunk on the libs. I'm going to have a special little segment. I'm going to call Duncan with Duncan. Let's, uh, let's have Mr. Michael Duncan come and uh, give this little hype speech to let the audience know why they need to vote. Mr. Duncan, take fellas, it away. Fellas, I, I think there's been a lot of good content on the pod today. But look, I mean, I think this all comes down to closing. Always be closing. Always. So let's talk about something important. But first, put that Twitter down. <laughs> Twitter is for closers. Now, why should you vote for President Trump? It's really simple. Because that preening, narcissistic Boy Scout, Jim Comey, put Hillary Clinton's Russian disinformation dossier on President Trump's desk. Get him. That's really it. Yeah, sure. I could tell you Trump cut your taxes. He defeated ISIS. He put three justices on the Supreme Court. But no, Comey putting the P tape on the president's <laughs> desk. That's what started it all, folks. The media hysteria, the never Trump grifting, the Russiagate nonsense. You should vote for President Trump to make everyone who spread this garbage cry. Yes. 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 
Do it for the liberal wine moms. You know the type. They post a black square on Instagram, black lives matter. But they probably call the cops when a brown kid walks through their neighborhood. 100%. 100%. Do it for the media who lied about the Covington Catholic boys. Yes, they did. The media that bullied the Defense Department into investigating some 18-year-old Marines playing the circle game. Yep. Oh. Do it for that Democrat congressman who chained himself to a mailbox. Oh, I mean, what was in, that? These people are insane. And finally, yeah, do it for the Russiagate truthers. They're out there, man, still searching. It's unreal. Searching for that smoking gun in Prague that's going to tie this whole collusion thing together. These people are liars. These people are hypocrites. It is a performative act that they do for retweets and clicks. Yes, it is. And you should want them to cry. (laughs) They probably thank you for it because it would give them what they've always really wanted, which is attention. That's it. And that's ruthless. There you go. I mean, do you really want your gender studies college sophomore cousin coming over on Thanksgiving? You know, he's going to infect everyone with coronavirus. He's going to spike the football because the Dems won. Do you really do you really want that? You know, do you want the the celeb smug? Do you want the celebs all sitting around congratulating each other for a job well done because they shouted down your average American in the middle of this country working their ass off so they can pay the salaries of these absolute clowns to tell us how to live our lives yeah you know do you want snl dunking on you because you need to vote today it's time to make these people cry they're out of their minds you know they're gonna take away christmas you remember you remember you remember what it was like when christmas was gone folks they're gonna take away christmas you want to see that you know it's the last christmas if by joe biden is 100 percent. and you know here's the thing these are the people who have been calling you Nazis for the past five years. You're going to let them take power? Hell no. It's time to shove these clowns into lockers. You need to go vote today. Hopefully we got you hype. You know why you're in this. It's time to close. Let's get the job done, folks. Let's go. Grab your, grab your friends, grab your families, go out, fill your ballots out, get it done. They're, I don't care if you have to wait eight or 10 hours in line. They're going to. They, they all told it that they're going to. Do you want them controlling your lives? I don't think so. Get out and vote. Make sure. You know, we've all been told, Smug, we've been Mm -hmm. told for eight months. There is no way Donald Trump can be reelected. There is no way Senate Republicans can keep the majority. No way House Republicans can regain a majority. Well, guess what? We haven't voted yet. We're going to go out on election day like we always do, and we're going to send a damn message to these people. Enough's enough. There it is. There's the message. You got to go vote. Straight ticket Republican. Let's get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lid. Let's go. Until next episode.